Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Private Wealth Team at Safford Chapness. My name's Leonora Stevens and I'm a partner in the Private Wealth Team based in Bristol. I'm joined virtually by Mike Hodges, who is the Head of Private Wealth at Safford Chapness and is based in our Manchester office. Good day, Mike. Hello. <laughs> um, we're delighted to be joined today by Alex Britton-Davis, a tax partner in our London office, who is a specialist in advising on UK residency and domicile matters. Today's podcast will focus on tax matters if you're thinking of moving overseas before the end of the tax year and any practical points in order to lose your UK residency status. As always, I thought I'd start by covering off why we're discussing this. So as the world's coming out of COVID and international borders are all fully open again, some clients are considering moving to foreign shores. This may be for various reasons, whether it's for a better climate or because they may have a liquidity event, for example, the sale of their business, and they they may wish to shelter the gains from UK capital gains tax. As a firm, we see people asking this question all the time. How do we become non-UK resident and what are the traps that we need to look out for? On the flip side, a great deal of our work also involves advising clients on planning pre-arrival in the UK, either for the first time or returning from a period away. So planning pre-arrival can save significant amounts of tax, hence why it's so important to consider. But we can cover that in another podcast. So starting off, Alex, I suppose the best way that we can get into the podcast is um, you know, why does it matter if someone becomes non-resident for UK tax purposes? So your residency position really impacts how you're taxed in terms of your income and capital gains. So if you're like me, a UK resident, UK domiciled individual, you will be taxed on your worldwide income and gains wherever they arise. Um, Non-domiciled individuals might um, be subject to the remittance basis and therefore taxed on their UK source income and gains. But if you're non-resident, you're only ever going to be taxed on UK income and UK real estate gains. So sales of property, etc. Other income and gains are just not within the scope of UK tax. So if, as the example said earlier, if you move overseas and sell your business whilst you're non-resident, then you may be able to save the UK capital gains tax on that gain. Yeah, absolutely. So even though it's a UK company, as long as it's not, you know, a real estate company, which would be subject to capital gains tax, uh, a non-resident just simply wouldn't pay tax on those gains. Okay. I suppose one thing that they would need to consider is the local, the the taxes in the local jurisdiction as to where they are. And it may be good from the UK perspective, but if they've gone to, well, I'm sure Monaco would be okay. But if they went somewhere like Germany or France, then they would probably have issues there well things to consider there anyway um but so if if they are if if let's just say we've got mr a who's decided that he's he's going to sell his business and move overseas what should he do if he's moving overseas and and what's the basis for becoming non-resident is there a a yeah so the the key thing is always timing um the uk has a slightly funny tax year which runs from the 6th of april to the 5th of april uh, whereas most countries have a far more sensible tax years either the calendar year or some end on the 30th of june um so timing is really crucial you know knowing when you're leaving um when you're going to actually cease to be uk resident um the the UK rules are based on the tax year, so they may treat you as UK resident for a full tax year, even though you actually leave partway through. So you may con- continue to be UK resident um, after you've actually physically left the UK. 
And that's so, why, Alex, isn't it? If I can cut in, we're quite often having these conversations in the first couple of months of, of the new calendar year so that people can be outside for, for a full tax year, i.e. starting on the following 6th of April. Yeah, absolutely. So the way the rules work is you look at your residency for the full tax year um, and determine are you resident or not. There are split year rules, but to be honest, they're complicated. They often don't apply. Um, and also the way the rules work is you might not know whether they apply or not until further down the line because just because of all the different criteria that need to be met. So, yeah, the 5th of April is a key day if you can be non-resident you know, from the beginning of a tax year and, and base your plans on that, that's a much safer position to be in. It's, it's just much, much easier, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose if you if you did the example of Mr A who's thinking about selling his business and where we are with, you know, December now and they're thinking of potentially selling in March, if they were to move overseas beforehand, it would be very difficult looking at the split year rules to, to claim split year basis so on that recommendation on that basis we would probably recommend that they if possible could shift the sale till post 5th of April wouldn't we um because it would be very difficult yeah to get the the non-residency element guaranteed in the current tax year yeah absolutely that would be the recommendation obviously it's not always possible so you know then we can look at what needs to be done to get split year treatment but as you say yeah if we can kind of base it on full tax years uh it would give them a lot more certainty um which is you know at the end of the day that's what we all like isn't it exactly i think the other, i mean uh, you know, for for people moving overseas and then retaining their non-residency status, the, um, the statutory residence test, which we have a very useful bulletin on our website, um, it is useful to follow. But in particular, with with respect to capital gains realised in a period of non-residency, Alex, do you want to tell them talk a bit more about sort of the temporary non-residence rules and how they people may fall into that trap? Yes, so the temporary non-residence rules um, are essentially uh, anti-avoidance rules and they're designed to stop people um, leaving the UK for a short period, realising income or realising capital gains and then returning to the UK. So they apply um, broadly if you've been out of the UK for five or less years, um, those will apply. Um, Again, to have that absolute certainty, we say leave the UK for six full tax years and then those won't apply. But obviously, that's quite a long period um, for people to perhaps leave the UK. And maybe when they leave the UK, they don't know what their plans are in the future. So whether six years is possible or not, and those plans may change. I, I do say, Alex, though, to clients, you don't have to see that as a prison sentence. If you've started and you get to, to, to year three and then think you really can't bear the thought of being wherever you are. It might be sunny in palm trees, but you might still hate it. You can still come back to this country. You, you, you're not forced to stay out. There will just be a cost and you will just have to weigh that up with all the other factors and what's making you think I need to be back in, in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we would always say don't let the tax tail wag the dog um, you know, at the end of the day, it's much better to live a happy life um, and maybe pay a bit more tax. Yeah, because um, these are family decisions, aren't they? I've, I've talked to a client in the past, and this was in the good old days where you could go for a year. And I think he spent a year on a beach and I was very envious. But the final decision for him was, sadly, his mother died. So that was the, 
his last connection with the UK. Had that not happened, I think he would have stayed here. So these are much broader decisions. I know we're talking about the tax, but they're, they're whole life decisions, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are conversations you need to have with your family. You need to work out where you would move to. Um, as Leah, you alluded to earlier, you need to look at what the taxes in the jurisdiction you're going to, you know, what is their tax year? What are their residency rules? Um, you know, there's lots of you know, lots of things to consider there. Um, one thing we see a lot is uh, looking at children in school and the, the obviously the school year runs sort of September to July, which is um, cuts, you know, not very nicely in the middle of tax years. So that can also, you know, cause some kind of issues, you know, is one per one spouse going to move at one time and the other follow later once the children have left school, um, you know, conversations like that are really important to have now I was going to say it's to do with the tax and you know if as you suggest Alex you've got one spouse living in the UK with the kids at school one living overseas appreciate you might save the tax but is is the tax really worth it Um, and I think also that's another thing that Covid's taught us all is to is to appreciate life and how certain things are more valuable and you know it say it is a as you say family decision to weigh up against um, the tax saving yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, looking at the UK statutory residence test, if you do have a spouse remaining in the UK, they're probably still living maybe in the family home for that period. Um, those ties to the UK could drastically reduce the amount of time you can spend in the UK without being UK resident. So the the way our statutory residence test works is we have um, a couple of tests that make you automatically non-resident. So if you're leaving the UK and you're here for less than 16 days in a tax year, you won't be UK resident. Um, or if you're working full time overseas, you won't be UK resident. Uh, those are quite hard tests to meet. 16 days isn't very much. That's, you know, just over a fortnight's holiday. Um, so then we, you would look at what we call sufficient ties. And that looks at your ties to the UK and your number of days. And as I said, if you've got that UK resident spouse and children, you've got a home in the UK. Um, those are two ties already. You're going to start to have quite a reduced number of days you can spend here and um, cease UK residency. Are there any other things that sort of to consider that you think would be good to talk about? You know, from a practical perspective, how does a client, if they say from the sixth of April, right, I'm not resident anymore? Is it a matter of just entering the non-residency pages on their tax return and saying the date they departed or um, are there any other, you know, other things that they should think about? Yeah, so particularly if you will need to continue filing a UK tax return because you've still got UK sources of income, um, you are going to need to fill in the pages that say you're non-resident and um, those include the details required to essentially for HMRC to check that you're non-resident. So the number of days you've spent in the UK, your UK work days, how many of those ties to the UK you have. Um, You know, if you're claiming split year treatment, there's even more information that you need to put on there. So um, particularly in those early years where if you are still filing a return, you will need to sort of count your days, count your work days, potentially keep records should HMRC inquire. Um, and that that can be quite a lot of admin. You know, I've, I've seen these residency inquiries and, you know, we're asked to provide um, boarding passes for flights. We're asked to provide, you know, 
for work days, that can be even more complicated, you know, diaries showing, you know, where you were, what meetings you were having in the UK or outside the UK. Um, you know, it it isn't a sort of a small task. Now, you know, for someone who's left the UK for years, they're not filing a return, you know, maybe they don't need to worry quite so much. But certainly if you are filing a return, that's going to going to need to be done. Isn't there, isn't there an app that can for, for non-residents that, that can track that can they can sort of update with their boarding passes and their dates of so so they can they know the midnights they've spent in the taxi? Um, yeah, there are some apps doing that. Um, I, what I would say is the rules are complicated. Um, we have things like exceptional circumstances. So if you're stuck in the UK, you know, for example, there's a snowstorm and the UK airports can't quite cope with it so you can't leave on your planned flight you might be able to discount days so it's always worth checking those things and um, particularly if you are getting close to you know the, the maximum number of days you can spend here I would probably be asking my accountant to look at it rather than relying on an app but perhaps that's just me being a little bit of a technophobe. <laughs> have you um, have you or Mike had any issues where people have moved overseas and something and they've tripped up on a particular area? Uh, so one of the areas that is a bit complicated is the full time work abroad. Um, you know, the calculations for what counts as full time work aren't as straightforward as perhaps they could be. Um, so that that can be a little bit of a, a sort of stumbling block for some people. The one I'm immediately reminded of, Leo, is John Hargreaves, uh, who founded Matalan. It was a matter of record that he was a current member resident outside the UK. Then I think there was a I'm going to say a Sunday Times article about him that said here he is sitting in his office in in Skelmersdale in Lancashire and off the back of that and this is a reported tax case off the back of that um, there was an inquiry and things started to go pear-shaped so it's one of the myths I was going to to mention and and then and then knock down is to say well the, the, the question which I'm sure you've had Alex I'm sure you've had Leo or the revenue won't know will they well, first off, we can't advise on that basis, never, ever, because that's the wrong side of the line. Secondly, they will find out. So, so so, do it right. And that's always the way we would advise people to do it. Yeah. And, and HMRC do actually have access to border information um, showing people arriving and departing. It's not fully accurate, but can give them, you know, if, if you were spending 180 days here and you were claiming you're only spending 90, you know, they would be able to prove you were you were lying about that. As you scan your passport in and out of the country. Yeah. Yeah. As they can look at credit card statements as well, things like that, as to where you're using your credit card, if they really want to delve it into it. I, ha- I did have an inquiry once where they did look at someone's diary and in, in his PA had to print off every day for, every, you know, for a whole year. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was quite... A detailed exercise trawling through that. I should probably add for completeness, John Hargreaves, not a client of ours, and what all I'm doing is reporting what I've read in the, in the press and and the, the reported tax case. Um, I, I suppose there's a, a couple of other things that people should think about if, if they are moving overseas is that there are things that they, as a non-resident, they're not entitled to. For example, the ISA allowance is only entitled, you're only entitled to if you're a UK resident. Um, so you, you wouldn't be able to contribute any more to that whilst you're overseas. But I think the, the the key is to making sure that you get all your ducks in a row before you decide to leave and make sure you're fully aware of 
the day counting, the criteria to make sure that all the advice that you, the quality advice that you receive from Safford Hamlets um, <laughs> is all worth it, and you and you and you meet your objectives. But ultimately, it is what is your objective and what is the family's objective, um, and is it is it worth all the sort of all the additional work required by the individual, um, which is something that that people should always think about. Um, but yes, it remains for me to thank Alex and Mike for joining me today, which has been a very interesting discussion. Um, we work with a wide range of clients, many are UK based and many live overseas but have interests here, whether that's property, business interests or investments. We advise individuals and family, families on how best to safeguard, maintain and enhance their wealth and on the most appropriate methods of passing on that wealth to the next generation. We also help people comply with the tax rules in the UK, which can be complex. If you'd like to find out more um, about Safri Chapness and how we can help you, please head over to the Safri Chapness website at www.safri.com. However, it is important for me to stress that if you're considering any of the topics discussed today, you must always take professional advice based on your individual circumstances. Thank you for listening. (music) 